and just uh, truly, uh, it's an honor to have you here uh, today. We are in the last week of this devotion series, and um, it's been, uh, this is week number nine, and uh, this has been one of my favorite uh, sermon series that we've we've done personally. Um, it's been one of my favorites. Um, it's been uh, so, so enjoyable to pray over and to uh, research and study and write uh, in it, and um and the, the, where this sermon series originally came out of was, was actually uh, during our sabbatical time where we, Lacey and I were both kind of just sensing um, some new things that were going to happen uh, just in our community. And then we were kind of looking beyond our community and like looking at like some new things that uh, might be happening throughout our city and, and what God might be doing. And um, here's what I know about anytime God moves, there's always going to be resistance against that, right? And so if you live a life following God and you get no resistance, guess what? You're not following God. Okay, um, listen, the devil doesn't care about people who are just casually trying to follow God because he just knows that, like, it's just not going to matter, right? Um, But when you really start getting after it, when you really start getting after it and the Spirit of God begins to move inside of you, you've probably felt this at times where you, you, you have this like rhythm in your life where um, you feel God pulling you and uh, you want to make different decisions and you want to do the different things and all of a sudden you f- start feeling tempted by those same things that were trying to draw you back in. Those, those bad decisions that put you in that rough spot in the first place. And, um, and here's just what I know that you can, you can say you believe in Jesus, but that doesn't mean you're devoted to him. And so um, when it comes to uh, this idea of being devoted, it's like, all right, just believing uh, is, is good, but it's not enough. Just believing is good, but it's not enough. See, to be fully devoted, to, to truly uh, love Jesus means that you want to follow him that you want to practice the, the ways that he did. And um, we live in a world right now where... Um, there's a lot of interesting things happening, right? You see um, so much division and so much hatred and so much manipulation. Uh, and then you see, um, have you guys noticed how uh, there's this huge draw into the spiritual realm of things? Uh, I don't know if you, you like, you know, um, uh, even like a, a show like Stranger Things, right? Uh, what's the, there's a draw. Is it beautifully written? Sure. Um, is it done really well? Sure. Is, are, is it acting great? Sure. Um, but there's a draw into like spiritual realms of things. There's a draw like we're in like the spooky season, right? Um, and uh, there, there is a draw to the spiritual realm. Well, why is there a draw into the spiritual realm? Because there's something deep inside of every single person that knows they need to be connected beyond something physical, that there's something deep inside, in the very core of your being that knows that there's something spiritual going on. Everybody does. And there's a longing in your heart for something. And so to be devoted to something, you have to figure out what you want to be devoted to. And that's what this series has been about. And to follow Jesus in the way that he talks about it is pretty interesting. You know, you could spend your rest of your life just reading um, simply what Jesus taught and be deeply convicted. I love, I love engaging all of scripture and, and, and everything, but man, even just to like take a step back and be like, man, if I could just read over and over and over again what Jesus taught, you'd be challenged every single day of your life. Every single day. And to follow him is something different. I heard, um, a few guys that are really big in spiritual formation, uh, like Dallas Willard and, and John Orberg, and uh, kind of one of the new modern guys is John Mark Comer. Um, they talk about uh, the difference in like, what discipleship really is. A lot of times we think discipleship is something like uh, you go to coffee with someone a little bit older than you, 
and, um, and then they just tell you what to do, right? And then you're like, man, they discipled me, I'm great. Um, that's actually more like mentorship, right? Or, or leadership development. To, to discipleship, to, to disciple, is to practice the way of Jesus. There's something that comes out of you, and we just, we just sang about it, right? Um, and what's the four-letter word that defines the Christian movement? What is it? We just sang about love, right? Um, I, and uh, this week, I couldn't, the song was in my head, and I could not remember who sang it. And um, I was sitting in there, and Kelly and Matt were in the office with me. And I was like, who was it? I was like, hello, 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 V, as I was prepping this. And it was Ashley Simpson, unfortunately. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, but the, at the essence of, of the Christian faith is love. And here's what I know about when you look around at um, what's going on in our world. There isn't necessarily a whole lot of love. We, we talk about love, right? We, we talk about the reality of love, but man, to, to love people well is to be generous. To love people well is to be kind and compassionate. To love people well is to want to serve them, which is what I'm going to talk about today. Um, but to love people well takes a lot. It takes a lot. And... Um, I was thinking about this, um, Lacey, uh, one day she called me, I don't remember how, this is years ago now at this point, um, but she um, called me, uh, she goes, hey, um, she's crying on the phone. I'm like, where are you? And she's like, I'm in the Kroger, uh, Kroger parking lot. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I think I just broke my ankle. Like she like slipped off the curb. That was, it, it seems like a big deal, but she had broken her ankle like a bunch of times, like over those years. And, um, <laughs> but like, even she was like, I did it again kind of thing. And um, Anyway, she had celiac, the whole story, but she's fine now. But what ended up happening, I pull up to her in the parking lot, and this was like, I think, the epitome of like, I think, where we're at. Um, I pull up to her, and I wish I had taken a picture. I wish I could show you a picture. Um, in the moment, I was like, I really want to take a picture, but I was like, well, if I take a picture, she might get mad. And then, you know, like, anyway, I pull up, and I come around the corner. I was at the Willow parking uh, in the parking lot. And I just see her, um, half of her body, like waist down, dangling over the curb, like laying down, okay? Um, groceries all around her. And, um, and I get up to her, and she's kind of laugh crying at that moment. Um, and so uh, we get her in the car, and we start talking. She goes, you'll never believe what happened. I was didn't anyone like help you? And she's like, no. Like people would just walk, literally walk over her and by her as she's laying on the ground, okay? Um, that, to me, um, that defines, like, some of the reality of what we live in and what we uh, live in too often. And, um, and I think when you start thinking about what does it mean to, to engage people and to follow Jesus in the way that he calls us to, man, one of the best ways that we can actually show the difference in who we are is, is to love people really well. Um, and to serve people really well, it'll be, it'll be so bizarre to other people. Like, why are you so generous? Why are you so kind? Why are you so compassionate? Why are you so loving? Why are you sacrificing time? Why are you sacrificing energy? Why, why are you doing all these things? And it's like, well, the natural outpouring of, of our lives is, is supposed to, to do this. Like, that's what we do. Like, we're, we're followers of Jesus. And as I was writing down notes this week, I was like, but are we devoted to that? Like, I know we all fail at it, right? We all get tired. We all just, you know, you, you ever get one of those calls? You're like, I just don't want to. Like, you know what I mean? We all get there. But I mean, but are we devoted to it? 
devoted to serve people, to love people, to, um, to have a heart like that. Uh, we've been reading a book as a staff about um, the persecuted church and what that looks like. And, uh, you know, um, when you read about the church in Iran or in India or in uh, China, and you hear these stories about how uh, they, they, they would literally be praying to be sent into the, the, the hardest areas. They would pray to, to die for their faith. They would pray um, that, um, that more people would come to know Jesus because they gave up their life to serve other people and share the gospel with them. We're praying for it. And it's like the second that persecuted church doesn't become persecuted anymore, like in, like in China, um, you can, it's not as persecuted anymore, so you can have big churches, kind of like what we do and, and stuff like that, um, that comfort sets in. And the people that used to be in the persecuted church long for the persecution again. Isn't that crazy? Because, well, what happens is, is we get comfortable and uh, we consume and uh, we, we miss out on uh, the heart of what this is supposed to be. And so I'm not sitting here, gonna, I'm not going to sit here today and be like, man, I hope, I hope we get persecuted. Um, I don't know, maybe. I don't, I don't know. But like, uh, that's not what I plan on preaching on. But like, I'm not asking for that, but what I am asking for us to do is like take a step back for a second, and maybe we need to ask the question, could I survive persecution? Would I thrive in persecution? Would I, do, do I have the heart um, and the desire to serve and love in such a way and put it all on the line for Jesus? That's what he calls us to. There's this really cool story in uh, John chapter 13. So if you're not familiar with your Bible, John is one of the Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, John was one of his closest followers. And so John writes, um, he talks about all these stories of what Jesus taught and like how he lived out his life and his miracles and everything. And uh, we get this one part of the story in John chapter 13, and, and it's called the Last Supper, the Passover meal. And um, you'll see something interesting off the top. John doesn't even mention the meal in and of itself. He actually focuses on something else, um, which is going to be about uh, serving other people. But, but John comes on this story, and it's one of the last things that Jesus does you know, before he dies and is resurrected. And so there's uh, a lot of importance to this meal. There's a lot of some, um, symbolic elements to it and everything. Um, but it's also like a really cool piece of like how we begin to see who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to follow and what it means um, to be devoted to Jesus. He actually um, teaches them something very significant in uh, this moment. Now you might have uh, seen this picture of, um, is it Da Vinci, right? Da Vinci, um, who uh, uh, did this portrait of the Last Supper. Um, so you may have seen this. Um, this actually is not historically correct, but uh, um, and let me show you why. Um, there is, uh, they would have not sat in this way. They would have sat in something that's called a, a triclinium, which is this. Oops, my pen's not working. Where are you? There we are. So the triclinium would have been like this. The table would have been uh, more of a U-shaped. Um, and here's just like a little fun fact. We, we, we probably know where four people sat at this table. All right, so here's how, what it would have looked like. Y'all, I'm gonna lose my mind. Um, so they would have sat around like this. All right. And um, here's what we know. Um, 
they would have, they don't, there's no, there's no uh, chairs or seats. Um, they basically would recline at the table. And um, everyone would recline on their left elbow, right, as they're eating, and you could only eat with your right. So if you're left-handed, you were deemed that something was wrong with you or that your family had sinned in the past. And, I'm not, and that's not a joke. How many guys are left-handed? Right? These are all the people that are sinners, or their families were. And so you begin to see. So this, you had to lean on your left. You had to lean on your left, and then you would eat on your right. right? And so, so the place of honor is right here. That's the main place of honor um, at this table. Now, who do you think was sitting right in this spot? Good job. Jesus, right? So how this would actually be laid out is you sat in triads of people. All right, so you sit in triads. And so Jesus is sitting here. You, in the story, it says that um, uh, John at one point was able to lean on Jesus. So the only way he could have leaned on him was sitting in this seat. So this is John. All right, now at another point in the story, um, who does he say is going to betray him? The one that eats, right? Well, they would have been eating right next to each other, and so they've been sharing bread. Each triad was sharing bread. So he's like the one who dips the cup next to me. So who's this then? Yes. All right, and so in all these seats would go in ranking order, basically, of, of order of, uh, to least important, but that's kind of relative. Who at the end does Jesus um, approach and, uh, and the person says, are you going to wash my feet? Do you guys remember? Oh, you'll, you'll hear it in a second. That's Peter. So Peter's sitting there. We don't know where anyone else is probably sitting, but, but that's where, so we've got John, Jesus, and Judas, right? And on the other side, um, there's another point where you can, you can uh, we'll see where Peter leans across to, to, to John and says, like, like who's going to betray him? Like, can you ask him who it is, right? And so the only person that could have done that would have been Peter. Now, in Peter's slot, this is why some of this stuff is interesting. In Peter's slot, that would have been the person when they first sat down that would have gone around and or as they were sitting down would have washed everyone's feet the person who actually sit in that seat, okay? And so that just becomes part of this story. And, and so we move into the actual scripture itself in John chapter 13. Here's what it says. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all these things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured out water into a basin, which had been actually the work of uh, a woman was supposed to do that, but Jesus steps forward and, and does that. Again, I... I like to point out some of this stuff to you guys because he, he defies gender stereotypes all the time. He defies like positional things all the time. And he pours water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus' reply, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. So he sent him up being like, I know you guys probably think I'm going to be here for a while, but I'm not. And you're going to look back on this moment, and you're going to say, oh, now I get it. They did not get it then, okay? So sometimes we read some of these stories, and you're like, how could they not see it, right? It's like, they didn't know. Like, they're, they're all looking back, and they begin to see it then. So Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And look what Jesus says. 
Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, he says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. This sounds like, this is like classic Peter, like passionate, like just like going over the, you know, overboard on everything. Um, but, but, but you also see like, Peter's like, oh, if, if, if you're telling me you're washing my feet, like, I, then I want all of it. Not just my feet, right? And Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So when he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to this place. Do you understand what I have done for you? So, so the reason why I mapped out the table, so you got a picture. It's a, Jesus goes and he washes each disciple's feet, right? He gets to Peter at the end, and then he goes back to his spot. So I just want you to get like the visual and kind of get the feel. He goes back to his spot. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? He says, you call me teacher. He's like rabbi and Lord, which is significant. And rightly so, for that is, who, uh, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than the master, nor is a, a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be, what's that word? If you do them. That's going to be significant. So, he's, so do you see what Jesus is doing? And it's, it's so skillful what he's doing in his communication. Because he's setting up incredible accountability and responsibility. You see, so, so get this, now that you just read that, so if you say, I'm a Christian, now that you just read that, guess what? You're accountable to do it. It's brilliant. So you can't be like, well, I didn't know. And he's like, no, 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 no. I just told you, now you have to do it. So it changes the game, right? It's like, no, 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 I don't want you to just think about it and just be information. It's like, no, no, I want you to actually practice the way of what this is. That's what it means to follow me. Later on, he, he, um, he, so he keeps talking and he's like, um, hey, someone's going to betray me. And um, we know that later on it's Judas. But then he comes to the end and he says this. A new command I give you. To love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone, oh gosh, I love this one. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Mm -hmm. If you love one another. So this means, if you don't love one another, that Jesus would say, well, then you're not one of my disciples. So isn't it fascinating? We live in a world where Christians really come after other people. Um, we ignore the love your enemy statement. Um, we love to play into the divisive element. But yet Jesus is very specific in saying, but if you don't love other people and one another, not just other Christians, if you don't love one another, then you must not be one of my disciples. So do you see why it's like crazy that people will manipulate a message, be like, we'll, we'll talk about being a follower of Jesus, but yet manipulate it and try and make you hate someone else and merge the message somehow. It's antichrist, Right? So Jesus says, no, I've got this new command. And you might be thinking, hold on a second. Loving, I feel like that's been a command for a while. 
I mean, you can go back hundreds and hundreds of years uh, in Scripture into the Old Testament, and you see this very same thing that was said. It's like, but Jesus is like, no, no, I'm giving you a new command to love. And, and here's what we begin to see. Jesus is actually setting up a whole new way to live, a whole new way to love. And here's what he's saying. If, if you want to discover this, then be devoted to my teaching. And here's what you'll discover. A brand new way to love people. A way that goes beyond what you feel is natural to you. It's something that's new. People haven't experienced it like this. And I'm setting you up for this way to, to love in this incredible way. And, and, and what does he do and how does he kind of want them to entertain it? Because they're all sitting together at this moment. Here's the first way. Intentional community. See, Jesus was very intentional with his community. Uh, he specifically uh, would teach, you know, he brought these guys, these 12 in particular, um, along with him everywhere. But uh, that's kind of missing the message a little bit because there were all these women that were there too. And quite often we read that there were, um, at a minimum, 70 other disciples, but there would have been, you know, even more than that. So he had all these people that would follow him around everywhere he would go, but he was intentional about this community. He was intentional about how they interacted together. He was intentional. Um, if you read through the book of Luke, uh, you'll see one of the, the things that Jesus did the most with people is eat. Literally, at one point in time, uh, in, in Luke, it says that the Son of Man came, and, and part of what the Son of Man, meaning the Son of God, came to this earth, and, and, and what the verse says is to eat with people. Some of you are like, I can get them more following Jesus there, right? Like, yeah, love to eat. It's like, well, I, Jesus says, like, one of the things that you got to do is be intentional about your community. It, how many of you guys have had a good meal with friends recently? Isn't it the best? You sit and have a good meal and you laugh hard. Um, you eat maybe a little too much. And, um, but man, you make memories in that, right? See, in that moment... We can treat that too casually, but in that moment, it's like, no, no, we're being intentional about who we are together. And Jesus says, you know what, you got to be devoted to having this kind of intentional community. Now, if you just eat and laugh together, is that a beautiful thing? Yes. What if you eat and laugh and talk about what God is doing? That takes things to a whole other level, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, it begins to redefine community. It redefines family dinners. It redefines our friendships. And, and all of a sudden, we're pushing into a new way to love one another. It's like, this is to be intentional about this, to um, engage one another. Here's what also is really cool uh, about Jesus when he had this intentional community. Isn't it crazy how he was always willing to engage people's process? He was so intent on creating a culture and a space for, for people to, to be able to be in process. Um, you know, whenever we say here that we want this to be a safe place to explore your faith, the reason why we say that is because we want people to always feel comfortable to be in process. Um, I've experienced uh, in my own life uh, at, a, at a church, maybe some of you guys have heard me share this story before, um, I had just came, uh, come back to, um, to kind of just, like, I was in process of, God was doing some stuff in my heart, but I, was, I had like one foot in, one foot out, basically. And, um, and I was at church one day, and, and I was in the one bad foot in on, uh, the night before. And, um, and I had drank a lot and everything, and, and uh, was in church, and the moment came for the greeting time. And um, just before the greeting time, um, I burped, 
and their alcohol came, smell came out. And there were two uh, older women who like turned and like looked at me. During greeting time, the ideal would have been they turn around knowing, whoa, here's a young guy. I was, I was 22 at the time. Here's a young guy who's in church that clearly was not in church last night. And, um, but he's here. But he's here. And I am like within arm's reach, okay? When greeting time happened, one of them literally looked over his shoulder at me and turned back away, and they went and talked to people that they knew. And I just stood there alone. We always want to be a place where people can be in process. And people can, like, you don't have to be perfect. And, you, and it can be okay. And you can be vulnerable, vulnerable about that. And you can know that, like, no, this is actually a place where I can do that. Because guess what? That's what Jesus did. If anyone on the face of the earth could have been like, get out, or I'm done with that, or you know what? You screwed up too much. Jesus had the right to do that, but he never did that. The only time he got mad and told people to get out were from the religious people who were claiming to be followers of God and they just weren't being it. Be intentional about community. The second thing that we see with Jesus is to receive grace. I mean, you know that part where uh, um, we're going to sing about his good grace here in a second, but uh, the part where Peter's like, Ooh, if you're going to wash my feet, he's like, I want you to wash all of me, right? What Jesus is actually doing in that moment is actually pretty interesting because he responds and he says, you know, um, those that already took a bath, like, you don't need to be totally clean. And he goes, I just, I'm going to wash your feet. What's he saying there in that moment? This, I just, this is such a cool little part. He's like, I know the hearts of you guys. Like, you guys are good. I know your hearts. Well, one of you are not that good. But like, you guys are good. Like, and that's cool. You don't need to get fully bathed. But here's what I do need. I need to wash your feet. Because you know what? Here's what this represents. On our feet is the daily grind. On our feet is the, the time we messed up on Tuesday. On our feet is like, it, it's not the whole of who we are. It's just, I messed up. Or, or that, remember that thought you had this week? You guys remember a bad thought you had this week? That's, Jesus wants to say, that thought, I get it. You're, who you are as a person, I'm not worried about who you are as a person in your heart. I know you want, I know you want me in your heart, but there is the reality of that thought you had this week. And so what I want to do here is I want to wash your feet. And when you wash your feet, which is a very vulnerable thing to do, and like only a slave would have done that in the, in the home, and, and here's Jesus, the, 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 the son of God, like doing this to people, and he's like, let me just show you with utter humility. I want you to receive my grace and let me wash your feet. Sometimes you come to Jesus and be like, ah, I feel so ashamed because I, I did this. Or I feel so ashamed that I thought this. I feel so ashamed that um, I, I said this. I feel so ashamed. It's not who I want to be. And we, and we take that in and we act like Jesus doesn't want to give us the grace. And so we, we are almost like preventing ourselves from feeling and knowing and experiencing God's grace. And Jesus said, be like, let me wash your feet. Just let me do it. Because like when you accept that humble grace from Jesus and you experience the grace of Jesus and you see that your feet are clean, you don't want them getting dirty again. But if you do, 
What do you do? You come back and say, just receive my grace. Receive my grace and let me wash your feet. The third thing um, that we begin to see here is to serve one another. We begin to serve one another. This is typically where we start in the story, but I wanted you to see the intentional community and I wanted you to see um, that we need to receive grace first because this is what makes the serving one another actually make sense. Because it's like, we have an intentional community. Uh, I want to receive God's grace. I want to be part of a community that receives God's grace. Um, so I, wanna, I want people to experience that themselves and, and to serve uh, one another. I wrote this down this week, that God works through those that are available and engaged. See, to serve one another means you have to be ready to serve one another. And in order to serve one another, you have to be available and you have to be engaged. Um, to sit and treat things as casual means you aren't going to be ready to serve one another. But he's looking for the people that are engaged and that are available. Um, you remember he said, um, if you do these things, you remember that word that I had circled? I said to remember that you will be what? Blessed. Blessed, Blessed right? Not just a certain grouping of people. You all, you all, this is like an all skate, right? Like you all, you all will be blessed. Here's what I want you to think about being blessed. Blessed is relational restoration and clarity with God. That's what it means to be blessed. It's not just being happy, but it's a, well, I've got, I've got clarity in who I am with God and, and, and what this uh, means. And everything is restored. Like that's what it means to be blessed. And the thought um, I had of, of being blessed is kind of fleshes itself out like this. I know who I am because I know whose I am, which allows me to know what I'm supposed to do. What a blessing that is. To know who I am. I'm, I'm a son. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of God. To know who I am. I find my purpose and it allows me to actually fully engage the reality of who Christ is in my life and allows me to serve others um, so well. Um, and so with this, I'm like, all right, this, what does it mean to serve others? Can you do that in your neighborhood? Yes, of course. You do that in your friend grouping? Yes, in your family? Yes. Um, should you serve here if this is your home church? Yes, right? We, like, I should never... Um, have to be like, hey, we need more people serving with our kids. Well, why is that? Because there should be a, um, a desire in our community to be like, we get to do this, right? We get to be a part of this story. And I started thinking about like the stories we get to be part of. When you start serving other people, it's not about another thing to do. I would, I don't, I would, I would never want to ask someone um, to do something else. How many guys are really busy? Yeah. So it's not about like, at, some of y'all didn't raise your hands, so maybe I will ask you, but like, <laughs> it's not about asking you like another thing to do. I, I want you to see what you're invited into as part of the story. You're invited into the story of this community. Um, this week we were, uh, we had this, we were talking about different memories and, and something around prayer. And uh, we had done this 21 days of prayer early on in the church. And Kara uh, uh, Robinson, who's our next gen pastor, um, her and her husband, Robbie, um, they're, they've been a part of this church since day one. And 
their kids, uh, Riley and Lucy, uh, were also part of it. We're Riley, we're, we're praying one day, and um, this is like early in the morning. It's like um, seven in the morning, and uh, we're all praying together, and Riley like prays. And I was like, um, I'm guessing he was probably eight or nine at that point in time. And so he prays in this beautiful childlike moment, right? And the purest prayers are always like a kid's prayer, like without a doubt. And so Riley prays in this moment. And I was thinking about this week, how this church in this moment was built off of that kind of story. And you're invited into that story. And so I was scrolling through um, some old videos. And I want you to see one um, that happened in the first part, for, in the beginning of our church. Um, go ahead and show it. Look at this. This is my son, Max, who's now 14. Okay. So he pulls, we get his first tooth pulled, right? Happened in this church. Laura, who plays keys, was the one <laughs> yanking it out of his mouth. <laughs> now you might be thinking, well, why does that matter? Because here's when that happened. Uh, it was before any of our first services ever happened. And there were people that were gathered here um, every night till sometimes midnight or one in the morning to clean this place, to put in flooring. To our, We did not parent for like, no one parented for like three months. We'd be like, we're going up to the U-turn. And they just ran around till midnight. And, um, um, but I was like watching that video. I'm like, that happened during that moment. Those little moments of people wanting to serve one another. And you get invited into that same kind of story. You're invited into creating pathways for people to, um, with your giving, and I'll talk about the share offering at the end, but in your giving and your serving, um, in the way that uh, uh, you have hospitality towards other people. Like you're creating a pathway. Like if, if you're here for the first time today, um, just know that you were prayed for in such a way that we wanted you uh, to take every barrier down that we possibly could so you could experience the Spirit of God in your life. And, and we want to do that because we want to create pathways for that. Why, why do we want um, people to serve like in our kids? Think about the, the opportunity you're invited into uh, to serve with our kids, right? Do they need more people? They do. They do. They need more people to serve with our kids. Why? It, think about this. You, you are invited into the story of the next generation of this church to serve them in such a way that they begin to see the reality of the life and the love of Jesus. You are invited into that story. You have the option to do that. We should be running for those opportunities. We're talking about the next generation coming up behind us and we get the opportunity to serve them. We should be running for that. You're invited into something far bigger than yourself. You're invited into becoming an answer to people's prayers. You're invited into a depth of your own faith that you are currently not engaging. Until you serve others, you will not experience the power of God. Until you serve others, you will not experience the reality, the depth of your life. You're invited into the story of Jesus. We can't possibly understand the reality of the story of Jesus without serving others. We can't do it. I love this quote um, from Brennan Manning in the end with this. He said, we need to live with a there you are versus here I am mindset. Can you imagine if, um, like if you're new here, like, I get it, like you're walking in a little bit of like a here I am. It's just a new, it's a new place to you, so that's okay. But if this is your, like, if this is your community, 
Like, our thoughts should always be like a, there you are. And the other person's like, you don't know me. I was like, but you're here. I've been waiting for you to be here. There you are. Here's the other part of that. And this is why it's so Jesus-like. See, if we have this mindset of living of there you are, what if we, we sat there and be like, it's part of our prayers. We're just like, man, God, may I, as I go about my day today, may I see where you are. Rather than me trying to show up, God, may my heart be so aware of your presence that I can say, oh, there you are. There you are. I want you guys to take out your communion elements. Um, if you don't have one and you want one, you can raise your hand. Um, if you don't want to take communion, there's no pressure to do so. See, part of the story of the Passover and the Last Supper was that they broke bread and they drank the wine together. But there was this invitation to be a part of something significant. This invitation that when you, you, know, you hold this bread and you, and you hold the juice and what Christ says in this moment is like, hey, this is my body that's broken for you and this is my blood that is shed for you. But in this moment, this is why we, whenever we take communion, um, you know, I never, ever, ever want to take this out of habit. Ever. So we pause and we reflect. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you about 30 seconds or so. And Laura will keep playing, but I just want you to like settle into this moment. And you can actually get ready if you want to take the bread and the juice out. But settle into this moment of what you're about to do and what God might be speaking into your heart this morning. So let me go ahead and do that. So God, as we hold the bread in our hands, um, represent your body being broken for us to realize in times of pain and suffering, that your body being broken represents that we're not alone in it, that you resonate with us, that you're there with us every step of the way. So go ahead and eat the bread. God, and this juice um, represents um, your new covenant, this new love that you talked about, this new, um, this new way that's different 
that your blood being shed on that cross is just, there's a cleansing element to all of it. Go ahead and um, drink the juice. So God, before we sing this um, song about good grace, God, I pray that we will not um, we will not let a moment like this go by casually. That we would want to be people of a there you are mindset versus a here I am. God, that we um, we want to be so devoted to you to experience the power you have for us, the love you have for us, the depth you have for us, the purpose you have for us, and that there's no other way we'd want to live. So God, may we be united by your love to be able to boldly proclaim the realities of who you are and to practice that way in such a beautiful way that people all around us simply say, I need that Jesus that you have. Will you stand and sing this last song?